Welcome to the Beer Driven Devs podcast, where your hosts, Matt Goldman and Liam Elliott, share their experiences and passion for technology, software, and of course, beer. So be sure to grab yourselves a cold one and join them for this week's chat. What a weekend. It has been drama non-stop, and this drama is literally unfolding as we speak. Liam, you've been across the news, I take it, about OpenAI? Yeah, Matt. It's been a topic that, like you said, it's been unfolding. And I was just messaging you just as we were getting this teed up saying, you know, I think this is going. This story is going to change before we actually stop recording this. It's going to be outdated the moment we hit stop. It's funny you say that because we have a guest this evening, Yuli. Welcome, Yuli. Hello. G'day, Yuli. Great to see you again. Hey, Liam. Good to see you again. You coming back? <laughs> I want to get on recording. <laughs> uh, not not just yet. I've got other things in the um on the boil at the moment. Look, if things don't work out, you may be able to twist right, my arm. We'll get you there. Thanks for joining us, Yuli. So, Liam, I was just saying, it's funny you say that because I asked Yuli to join us because he's been keeping a real close eye on what's been going on and uh, probably has a bit more expertise about it than you and I at the moment. And the reason it's funny you say that was just before we started recording, he messaged me to say, it's lucky we didn't record an hour ago. It mm-hmm. literally all just happened. Yeah. Yep, literally happening yep. right now. And yeah, this will be, I'm sure, completely wrong and all speculative, but it'll be fun while we're recording and then we can be wrong forever in recording. Now, before we get too deep into it, Yuli, did you want to just give the audience a quick introduction to yourself. Sure. Yeah. Uh, my name is Ulysses McLaren. I'm the general manager at SSW, which is the same place that Matt works. So I get to talk to him every day. Lucky you. Liam used to be with us too, and he'll be back. <laughs> <laughs> we do a lot of AI. We do a lot of GPT. We are all over this and it's a really, really fun time. Although it's kind of a scary time also, but yeah, fun and scary always go hand in hand. It's been, a, as you said, a crazy weekend because this all started you know, midday Friday American time, which is already Saturday for us. And it's Monday today. And since then, we've had, you know, a year's worth of drama packed into that kind of schedule. Well, let's let's start from the beginning, Yuli. What is this drama we're talking of? Yeah, give, it, give us a, a bit of the background. All right. Why are we so excited? So midday on Friday, Sam Altman, CEO of OpenAI, gets called into a Zoom call with the board. So the board is six people. It's, it's him, Sam Altman. Greg Brockman, who is the president and co-founder. We've got Ilya Soskova, who's the chief scientist. And I've been kind of obsessed with Ilya Soskova for ages because he's a big thinker and kind of a philosopher as well as a scientist. He's a very cool character. Uh, you've got then they're, they're the only actual C, uh, OpenAI employees. The other three members are Adam D'Angelo, who's the CEO of Quora. We've got Tasha McCauley. I'm not sure. She's a technologist of some kind, but I'm not sure exact details. And Helen Toner, who's part of the Georgetown Center of Security and Emerging Technology. So they call him in. As far as I knew, it was it was instigated by Ilya Suskova, but I'm, that's a guess. But within 15 minutes, he'd been fired from the board and from the company. So Sam Altman was, was dropped. Greg Brockman wasn't fired, but he was forced to resign from the board and just stay on at the company. Mm-hmm. But within an hour of that meeting, he had also quit. So that was pretty nuts. So do we know what instigated this? We don't know, no. We've, we know what they've said. So Mira Marathi has been put in as an interim CEO, but that lasted all of a day, so we'll get to that. <laughs> what we think happened and what their statement on their blog was, was that the mission of the board is to ensure that artificial general intelligence benefits all of humanity and the board remains fully committed to serving this mission. So two parts to that are, one, the, the safe development of AGI, of artificial general intelligence, 
and two, that it benefits all humanity, not just customers or the elite or whatever. So one of those two is the reason that this happened. Either it's an AI safety issue, which by the way, is the same reason that Anthropic exists because OpenAI had a big split a while ago over AI safety concerns, which is why Anthropic and Claude 2 exists. Those were all OpenAI employees at one point. So yeah, it's it's either safety again, which if I'm guessing is my guess, or it's an elitism thing. So it's it's gotta be something to do with with, you know, half of the board pushing for winning the race, right? You, mm-hmm. you know, the big AI race and the other half pushing for safety. Can I jump in for a second? So I, I've seen a fair bit of speculation about this uh, over the past few days. And one thing that I've seen come up at least once, I think I've seen it more. And in fact, I think I saw a couple of threads about this, but I, I don't have the source to hand. So I'm going to say, I'm, I think I saw some people saying, and, and you know, from unnamed sources, insiders that uh, Sam Altman was pushing quite heavily towards profitability and pushing towards parts of the business, parts of the profit for profit arm of open AI and bypassing safety, like you said, various safety practices. Meanwhile, the board have obviously been being committed to the non-profit aspect of everything they're doing about safe development of AGI and so on and so forth. And, you know, this is obviously, I say it's speculation, but but it is supposedly from unnamed sources, you know, at OpenAI who are close to it. But the reason I think this is interesting is because it is completely the opposite of what you would expect in this scenario. You know, because Sam Altman, it's worth mentioning, is one of the founders of um, OpenAI. They've been around, I believe, since well, 10 years, I think, since 2013. Correct me if I'm wrong. So it's normally, you know, you get the founder and the people with the vision for, you know, uh, developing AGI or something like that. And, you know, normally once you have a board come in, well, mind you, I guess it's different when you have shareholders, right? But, you know, normally you have a board come in and the board start pushing for profit. And, you know, often when a CEO and a board, especially a CEO founder and a board fall out, it's because the CEO is committed to their original vision and the board are pushing in the direction of profit. And it seems, according to these unnamed sources, that this is actually the opposite. I think you're you're 100% right there. And I've sort of read the same messaging that you said about Sam pushing more for that profit side of things. But if you go back, OpenAI started as a not-for-profit, yeah. right? So they started as a not-for-profit. Then they transitioned to a limited profit model. Yeah. So in theory, their shareholders understand there is a cap on the profitability of said shares. Right. Yes, it's not a fully like IPO public company pushing, pushing, pushing for growth and... and uh... For unlimited. So yeah, I, I I can see like the board or the shareholders are not like they shouldn't be pushing so much for unlimited profit. No, but what, they, what they could be pushing for, and it wouldn't be the shareholders, this might be just, you know, Greg Brockman and Sam Altman. They might just be pushing for viability, commercial viability, right? It it costs a lot of money to run yes. GPT four, yeah. Right? Like in the back end. There's a lot of compute, there's a lot of power that goes into that. There's a lot of chips, you know. NVIDIA is doing very nicely, but also their chips aren't cheap. I heard another rumor that uh, Sam Altman, a couple of days before he was let go, and this, again, wild rumor, was uh, in talks with investors from the Middle East to create a competing company to NVIDIA so that they could own their own chip production as well as the um, AI stack. I saw that one too. That is certainly the trend at the moment. And it's funny, yeah. Liam, we've talked about this a couple of times, but we've gone full circle back to what Sun Microsystems were doing. Anyway, we've gone off topic. Uh, so Yuli, I, I apologize for interrupting. Let's let, get back to your story. So we, you, were, you were up to the board and Sam Altman being at odds over safety concerns. We think that's probably what went on. Yeah. So, we so think, he, was, yeah. he was dropped and Greg Brockman a few hours later also quit, as did three additional senior researchers um, a few hours after that. So that's, I think, was unexpected 
rejected from the board. Now, by the way, uh, OpenAI did not notify anyone that this was going to happen. Even Miro Murati, who's the, now the CEO, well, was the CEO for a day, was only notified a day in advance. So, the day, you know, on Thursday, she gets told, hey, tomorrow we're letting Sam go. Heads up, you're going to be CEO. They didn't tell Microsoft at all. They told Microsoft one minute before they went public with it on their blog. Mm. <laughs> Which is almost, it's almost deliberate. No. <laughs> the context there, though, Microsoft sunk, what was it? How, many, how much did they sink into OpenAI? Some number of billions. I can't remember. It was it's, yeah, it was 13, 13 billion US, I think. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, that buys you one minute of uh, foreknowledge. So yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that, that was nuts. Anyway, so then three more senior researchers quit in the next few hours, and uh, they had some big talk, like with the, the big staff meeting, where the staff was basically asking Ilya, uh, was this a coup? You know, what ha- what happened here? And he was, I don't know, he was backing and forthing about it, saying, yeah, it's not, it's not great. <laughs> Anyway, the next day, so this is, our, you know, we're in Australia, this is our Saturday. On our Sunday, so I guess they're Saturday, they've got him coming back in again to talk about coming back. <laughs> and if he comes back, then the board would need to resign. <laughs> um, and this seems to have been driven by Mira, you know, the new, the new CEO. Uh, so he was brought back in. I don't know if you guys saw the photo of him going in with his guest pass on Twitter. Yeah, yes. Uh, <laughs> But what, what I find very funny about that is that Satya Nadella was facilitating the negotiation of getting him back in. And so then that leads on to the news that sort of broke about five minutes before we kicked off. Exactly, yes. Yeah. So about, about half an hour now, uh, we heard that those negotiations have failed and uh, Sam Altman and Greg Brockman are now going to Microsoft to work for Satya Nadella. <laughs> So you do wonder how impartial he could have been in as uh, the facilitator for that negotiation. It's it's kind of oh no. Anyway, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh well, if you don't want to go there, how about you come work for me? Oh yeah, all right, that sounds good. So he's, he's setting up some new um, advanced AI research team along with Greg Brockman, and by the way, a few more of their colleagues from OpenAI coming across too. So I, I don't know if it's the same three uh, like high up people who we hear, heard about quitting. It probably is because this is the thing right is you know open ai are not a huge organization right and all they are is their ip and if that you know that ip i guess isn't necessarily walking out the door right now but all of the talent and all of the capability to leverage that ip is it's going to be it's going to be very difficult for open ai to to continue isn't it yeah yeah, I mean, well, the, I mean, the rumors were that they were in free fall, and that's why they got Sam back in with, you know, within a day's time to, to try and get him back again, because they went, oh, no, what have we done? There, there's another mad rumor, which is that board actually, if you look at who the board are, a lot of them are academics, they're scientists, uh, Ilya Suskova was mentored by Jeffrey Hinton, who's a famous proponent for AI safety, right, who quit Google over AI safety concerns, you know, and then the other the other three are all more academic and more interested in this sort of slow incremental betterment of mankind rather than the, you know, this business has got to be a good business thing. I mean, those three, they're not even employees. Of the and business. does that, stem, like that, the makeup of the board there, does that stem from their not-for-profit days? Yes. Yeah. They're a research, yeah, no, exactly. research organization. That's what they were originally supposed to be. Yeah, which, well, which is why it's actually possible for this to happen in the first place, right? Because they were, mm. as you said, a research organization. They were designed for science. And then they ended up with a whole bunch of market share and, and power and money. But still, the organizational structure of a research organization, which can, when they decide it's uh, not for the betterment of the mission anymore, just oust you know, the top people who were making it all happen. So so the rumor is that they did it deliberately to, um, because they, you know, they're like, Sarah Connor going in and unplugging Skynet. They, yeah. They're worried this is all kicking off. And the big rumor I heard, and this is, of course, complete bullshit, but let's just get into it, is that two <laughs> weeks ago, they invented AGI, right? So did you did you guys hear Sam Altman talking about the big 
the oh, big yeah. leap forward that happened two weeks ago? Uh, not, no. not, that, not directly, but I did hear this rumor about them having allegedly. Yeah. So um, at the, what is it called, APEC, Sam said he's witnessed the frontier of knowledge being pushed back only about four times in a big way. So that would be, you know, the introduction of GPT-3, maybe the introduction of GPT-4. And he said the last time was only a couple of weeks ago, and he was very excited. This happens, you know, only a few days before he's suddenly fired from OpenAI. So I wonder if he's let the cat out of the bag. It was talked about, the main issue that he was let go was something to do with the fact that he wasn't consistently candid with the board. Yeah, that was in there. Keeping things from them. So I wonder those two are related. But then that's where the big rumours of AGI are coming from, because, you know, we've suddenly... So you, th- you think maybe he went public with something before he told them? Exactly. Something like that. Yeah. How can yeah. you tell everyone before you tell us what's going on? So, so you, I want to ask you about something, right? So we've talked about safety a few times now, right? Concerns about safety and about the overall mission and all this sort of stuff. Let's talk briefly. What do we mean when we're talking about safety when it comes to AI? Oh God, that's a big question. So AI safety, I guess, comes in a few different flavors. There's grounding, which is what's true. So, you know, is it actually telling you, for instance, when you ask it a question on ChatGPT or something, does it tell you the truth or does it tell you some variant of the truth? And- Hence the big disclaimers that you see at the bottom of the chat, GPT. Yeah. I'm just an AI, but as far as I know, blah, blah. But also, you know, it gets criticized a lot for being very left-leaning. So people on the right side of the political spectrum would whinge that it's uh, it's lying to everyone when you ask it about politically divisive questions. So grounding is But that's the lessons that Microsoft learned back from um, Ty. Yeah. <laughs> is that the Twitter bot? Yeah. Yeah, the, the yeah. one they trained based the on Twitter. And it's, yes, that's right. Yeah. So they led too far right once, now they're leading too far left. Uh, but it's because it, it's it's trained with something called um, RLHF, which is Reinforcement Learning with Human Feedback. And it's trained in Silicon Valley by people in Silicon Valley. And people in Silicon Valley are very woke, right? So the, the general... And there goes half the audience. I'm sure. Not that we've got um, a big audience, but there goes, there goes <laughs> the audience. Well, uh, hang on, hang on. I'll just win them back quickly. One, one could equally argue that ChatGPT is trained on an incredibly large body of data and on a dispassionate and objective analysis of all that data, the objective truth tends left. <laughs> one could argue. Okay, yeah, sure. Um, look, I mean, Liam, Liam, are they back? Um, I'm just checking the stats right now. I'm slightly parroting Elon Musk. <laughs> so Elon Musk is, you know, one would say probably a little bit further right. And he's when he, that's his biggest complaint and his biggest, one of his big reasons for why X now exists is to try and be objective and not be too grounded, like non-grounded and too far pushed in one direction. And obviously that's very difficult with anything that requires, you know, truth in inverted commas based on opinion, you know, something like the difficult questions, like, is there a God or something? I actually personally think that ChatGPT is pretty good at answering difficult questions. It tries to give a, a fairly objective, non-biased answer. But I'm probably a little left anyway, so that's probably where you know that's why it's sitting in my happy place. Anyway, so grounding is the first part, right? Is it telling you the truth? The, the next part is alignment. Alignment means does it want what we want? right? So is it aligned with the betterment of humanity, right? And of course, being aligned with the betterment of humanity means probably quite something different than, you know, the betterment of us three white people here sitting talking Mm -hmm. on wonderfully expensive technology. So it could quite easily mean, you know, the betterment for, for instance, what's best for people in Australia might not be the same as what's best for people in Israel or in Sudan or whatever, right? So that's a very difficult thing to do. How do you align it for something that's better for humanity when humanity is doesn't have the same opinion of what they want. How can it want what I want when I want something different from what someone in America wants or whatever? Alignment is a very, very tricky topic. It's also tricky because 
even if we figure out like the median, you know, middle of the road, middle human, what they want, that changes over time, right? What what we wanted 200 years ago is different from what we want 100 years ago. It's going to be very different from what we want in 300 years. So it needs to evolve over time to work out what the new moral level of humanity is and, and to do what we want and what's best for us. So that's the really hard question. And that's something that OpenAI has been uh, vocal about trying to solve, right? So I think they committed 20% of their full compute at one point to trying to solve the alignment mm. issue, which is a big deal, right? Because, you know, 20% of a massive business is trying to figure out how to make sure it's safe. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. So alignment alignment is a big, big issue and it's not solved. It's not even solved philosophically, never mind te- technically. Yeah, I mean, I was going to say, you know, even figuring out how logically that can can even conceptually how that can be solved is is difficult for my uh, undergraduate dissertation i wrote well actually my undergraduate dis- dissertation was on superman but um it was it was uh, largely about <laughs> He's kind of a super intelligent AI who's trying to figure out the best thing for humanity in his own way. That's right. No, it, it was about, I, I'm at risk of going off topic and talking about this for several hours, but Stop. Um, Stop the subject, Stop it, it was, I'll go the short version. It was about moral relativism um, and moral relativism oh, but- is, is the observation that uh, different people in different times and different places have different moralities. That's exactly what we were talking about. Yeah, mm. that's it. Yeah. Yeah, there's a, there's this concept called well, there's these two kind of opposing concepts called uh, moral absolutism and moral relativism. Uh, moral absolutism takes the position that there is an inherent right and wrong in the very nature of existence in the universe. If if that was the case, it would be much easier to get alignment right for AI, wouldn't it? Well, it would, yeah, yeah. I'm done. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and yeah, a, a moral relativism is the observation that that is clearly not right. <laughs> because if it, if it was, there would be some kind of compelling factor to it, right? So if there was an, an absolute objective right and wrong, there would be some kind of, it would be some kind of part of nature and there would be some kind of compelling factor that would compel people to basically not have free will and, and behave right. So the only way, the only way that you can justify moral absolutism is with the invocation of a deity, like saying with God, basically. So yeah, putting God out of the equation for the time being and, and focusing on, I guess, em- empirical facts, moral relativism is what we would take to be, I guess, the correct side of that argument. And in light of moral relativism, that alignment issue seems, as I said, conceptually impossible, let alone. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So uh, OpenAI's um, tactic for this was to create an AI that would solve this for us. Basically, it's a, it's a problem that's beyond us. You know, making if we make a super intelligent AI without figuring out alignment, we're screwed, but we're not smart enough to figure out alignment. So let's make a super intelligent AI that will figure out alignment before we make one that needs it. You know, like yeah. a moderately intelligent one that can solve that problem for us before we make the super intelligent yeah. one. Which, uh, you know, some people say is complete madness because you're basically saying, okay, I'm going to I'm gonna say 20% of the power to the prison guard and give 80% of the power to the prisoner and it'll be fine. Yeah, sure. Sure, right. <laughs> yeah. You know, it, what's interesting is a few years ago now, Liam, I think we may have spoken about this on the podcast before. I, I can't quite remember. But a few years ago now, Facebook were experimenting, pretty sure it was Facebook, were experimenting with AI and they had a bunch of different AI models and they shut them all down because they'd invented a language to communicate with each other so that they literally just evolved and invented this language and and the experimenters and the people controlling it w- were terrified because they couldn't understand it they had no idea what these things were saying to each other so they just shut them all down yeah i heard about that yeah no that was the other one the other one was that some ai model learned to speak in persian without ever having heard persian uh it was never trained on on the persian language and yet somehow was able to translate things to and from persian and they're like how did how does that work <laughs> how did it do that yeah that's crazy isn't it 
So grounding, alignment, um, are, are there any other of the factors in that safety? Those are the, the big sort of um, the big ticket items, but then you've got little things like bias, um, which I guess suppose is kind yeah. of part of grounding. So, you know, if you train it on historical data, if there was bias, which caused, had a cause, causal relationship with the historical data, for instance, racism or something, then that will just train your AI model to be racist without being able to label that, it. That's what Liam brought up earlier. That's what happened with Ty, right? Yeah. Uh, yes. Well, Ty was, was a Twitter bot, wasn't it? So it was just, taught, you know, whatever, whatever people say on Twitter. And then uh, people just started sort of trolling it um, and, you know, basically taught it to be a... From memory, I think it, it learned it without being trolled. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, that's it, the cesspool of Twitter that it learned from. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's slightly worrying. <laughs> so, yeah, you got, you got bias, which is, you know, always a problem and, and something that can be solved to some extent by being careful about the content you train on. But once you actually have a machine learning model or a large language model fully trained, it's a black box. You don't really know what's going on in there. You can't debug it. You can't, you can't go in there... Yeah. And just go. Oh, I see. This should, one should have been a zero or something. There we go. It's not biased anymore. Yeah. Um, it's quite a difficult thing to solve. And so, for instance, you've got in America, you've already got AIs which uh, help with sentencing decisions. They help judges figure out what the sentence should be for convicts or whatever. And you know, sometimes they've been they've been identified as being statistically, mm -hmm. you know, very racist in some cases. So bias is a big problem. Then you've just got the transition, transitionary period. So even if we end up with a perfect AI that, you know, is perfectly aligned, perfectly grounded and mm. extremely productive and then ends us uh, up in a, in a world of abundance, right? Uh, where we've got plenty of everything. And the, you know how we say, we're always trying to get a bigger slice of the pie to make the pie bigger. Even if it makes the pie much, much bigger, you're still going to have big transitionary problems. So, you know, as society comes to grips with people losing their sense of purpose, if they lose their job, even if they're, even if they're financially secure or looked after, or we get a sort of perfect communist state run by AI or whatever, there'll be that a, a very difficult transitionary period where people don't know what to do with themselves or people before we have the full abundance we'll have uh you know major economic hurdles um unless we can get I'll, I'll tell you what right as someone who has grown up well what i'm in my early 40s now so you know i've grown up in, a, in an era of rapidly developing technology i'm excited by technology i love it and i always have you know and i look back on luddites and you know people in the i, I guess in pretty much every decade of the previous century you know people losing jobs and and you know fearing progress and thinking oh you know the good old days and so on and so forth and i always thought that will never be me because i you know i i love technology and i love progress and whatever happens i'll be excited about and then two weeks ago i read a blog post from bill gates where he was talking about what's going to happen with ai over the next five years and he's talking about agents what he calls agents mm -hmm. and i was just yeah. thinking how much i just don't want that because because i i just really love what i do and, and i don't want my job to be obsolete and i just thought wow like that, that's how it happens it just it would just happen to every generation won't it and the, and the funny thing was i started i read back again what he wrote and everything that he's talking about is awesome and it's cool and it, it's things that we've always dreamed of but like i i really get it you know i there's a very very good chance that what i do now for a living is gonna have to change and evolve to keep up with that you know otherwise but there's precedent there right right i mean this has happened throughout history yeah, at the turn of last century you might have loved driving your horse and cart around <laughs> yeah yeah Right? Absolutely, yeah. And then, and then all of a sudden, along comes the motor, the motor car, yeah. And you've lost your job. The luddites, I like the story of the luddites because they they are always looked back on and like you don't want to be a luddite, right? That's the that's the takeaway of the parable, right? The luddites opposed technology and they lost, right? Yes. I think the luddites, uh, if they hadn't opposed technology, they would have still lost, right? Yeah. You can't beat them, but you you need to 
the, the saying at the moment is you're not going to lose your job to AI, you're going to lose your job to someone who's using it, right? That's, yeah. that's the, yes. the sort of thing we're hearing all the time. And for now, that's definitely right. I wonder how long that will be right because agents are coming. Agent Smith is coming, right? Yeah. <laughs> so the way I explain it to people not in the tech industry at the moment is it's the same argument that happened before our time you know, we're all in our early 40s, before our time when the calculator came along. Hmm. Calculators introduced to schools. It was, there was that discussion that's going to make everyone dumb. They're not going to be able to learn maths. They're not, they're just going to rely on the calculators. But we all went to school and, well, I know for me personally, I had to have a calculator. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. We had to have a scientific calculator for maths. Kids have to have graphing calculators Exactly. Now. And so they're tools. So you have to learn to use the tools and the technology available at that time. And at the moment, as I see the AI technology as it is right now, it's a tool. And you're right. You're not going to lose your job to a, an AI at the moment, but you're going to, you may lose your job to someone that can use it better than you. So the difference is, right, the difference between AI and any of these literally any historical development technological development before it is that everything that's come before you have had to know how to use you've had to be trained you've had to have some level of Mm -hmm. expertise Um, and there's people saying now you know you're going to have to have at least BA skills right you're going to have to know how to ask the right questions and interact with it in the right way and that's false right because what's what's fundamentally different about AI and where AI is going is that you won't need any expertise you won't need to know how to use it because it will adapt to you to some extent I mean the people who are successfully using the tools at the moment are the creative people who can think outside the box and figure out the patterns and figure out where the value is and and make it the best multiplier it can be right because at the moment ChatGPT, which is you know the, the forefront gpt4 you know turbo at the moment is the forefront of llms it's the forefront of ai that we can use that we have access to and you need to tell it what to do it won't anticipate what you need it doesn't know ahead of time Oh, you know, he's about to go into a board meeting, so I'll give him all his notes that he needs or whatever like that. And that's that's where it will end up, I think, probably at some point. But for now, you need to be very intelligently using the tools or else the tools are just sitting there doing nothing or, or you know, you're asking me. That, that's now. That's now. And But the question is also, I think that'll, that'll be the case for agents too, right? Because yeah. agents... Right at the moment, the big the big difficulty of, of natural language processing has been for an AI to know what your intent is. So you say a thing either in your voice or with some text, and they have to figure out right what does that mean? What do you want me to do here? What output do, do you want me to give you so that you'll be happy or that will be useful to you? And that that intent uh, identification has been the whole sort of purpose of AI. But and underneath it- that, you've got like one level abstracted, which is what information did he ask for and when, right? And then, okay, instead of what's his intent and what should I give him, why did he ask for that? What's he trying to achieve? Maybe I can achieve that for him before he asked me for it. And that's where agents come in, because if they're intelligent enough, they can just go and do the thing that you were trying to do mm. for you, mm. you know, before you do it. And he'll just figure out, oh yeah, I remember every Tuesday he used to do that thing. He used to invoice every Tuesday morning and he used to keep on asking me these questions about how to do it. I'll just do the invoicing for him or whatever, yeah. right? And- that's a very easy. That's cool. Option. It could yeah. be could be on any level, right? That's the kind of um, utopia that, say, Google Assistant and Siri were promising many years ago, right? Being able to tie all of your personal calendars, your emails, and everything else, knowing everything about you, to be able to predict. Well, what are you going to be doing next? Mm, yeah, and how much how much do yeah. you want automated though? Because I yeah. think like, I love using AI. I'm, massive nerd on this stuff and i really get a kick out of being able to produce really good really huge amounts of value more than i was able to three years ago right i can like now i can spend a week and i can get a lot done i can make a bunch of content for the website i can you know whatever you know videos images text voice 
Like it's just more and more and more capabilities every day. And it's very exciting how much more productive I can be uh, in a week. But is that where it ends? Because if that's where if that's where it ends, then happy days. We just have a whole bunch of people who are going, woohoo, look how much I can do. Or does does eventually do I become the the bottle the bottleneck in the process of you know this productivity? Yeah. And eventually, you know, the only problem we've got really here in this whole system now is Ulysses. He's just so slow giving us commands and everything. Can we get him out of the picture? We'd be able to do infinitely more. So uh, and I'm worried because I think a yeah. lot of the rhetoric around around AI is and, and around the companies pushing this AI models are pushing that thing that I just talked about, that joy of look how much you can do, look how much you can get done with the idea that it'll just make you super productive. And while that's true, that's really fun for how long. Yep. Yeah. Um, I just want to I want to pick on something that's something you were speaking about a minute ago, which is uh, intent. So you mentioned that one of the problems is intent, and and I think this is just like when we were talking about alignment. It's a it's a very difficult problem to solve even without AI. So difficult, in fact, that one of the biggest professions in the world is pretty much predicated on <laughs> literally just that, and that's law. So it, the, the whole reason we have lawyers, well, apart from you know criminal or, or other than that, you know, if you're talking corporate law, contract law, or anything like that, the the whole reason we have this this profession. And these millions of people around the world is because humans are bad at expressing and recording intent. We have to have contracts mm. and we have to have process and we have to have, you know, very, very specific wording, you know, very specific Latin words and very specific language because we're ambiguous and, and we're not good at expressing intent. So, you know, even conceptually, it's it's another problem that's hard to solve. That That's not a technology problem. Yeah, that's true. That's interesting. I mean, I, I just spent um, a day and a half making a custom GPT because um, it was fun. So, uh, but trying to get it to purely understand my intent using nothing but language has been a really interesting, uh, I've been I've been debugging my own sentences, you know, like <laughs> just going, maybe because I said all instead yeah. of, you know, every, maybe that's the problem here, you know, using, being very specific and intentional with your language now has become, you know, even more important when you're talking to a computer that will take things quite literally. <laughs> the most interesting thing I got out of that, I just, I was um, struggling to contain my laughter there is yeah. knowing you, Julie. <laughs> Matt and I, we come from the dev background and from a dev perspective, that's natural to me. That's not, mm. I'm, I'd hazard a guess that it's natural to most developers that you have to be really deliberate in what you're asking the computer to do. Now yourself, you're less technical. You come from, you don't come from that technical background. And it's interesting to hear that you're now, so that your brain is now getting wired to how do I program this chat bot to work and give me the answers that I need it to see. Yeah. Yeah. It's, right? it's very, very similar. Um, but so I, I've done a little bit of coding way back in the day. I was atrocious at it then. Um, I'm probably even worse now. But uh, what I do remember is that it's it feels more mathematical than linguistic. It's, you know, the, the, you open the bracket here and you close it here and that equals this and this equals that. And you can kind of, it's all algebra, kind of. To an extent. I thought about it back in the day. But, but that made it easier to debug because it, it's a very clear uh, model of what happens when. Yeah. Right. Where with language, it's it's more like I'm trying to explain to a new employee how to do a job, and they're going and and they're the sort of employee who takes things extremely literally, you know. <laughs> so you have to be very specific in how. You I mean, it. it's it's really funny because the way what you're explaining there, communicating with a with um with the AI bot, it's the way I see just oh, general yeah. software okay. development. Right. Okay. I see so, it more. It's like that joke about with, the. Uh, the guy who gets a, a comes home to see a note from his wife saying, "Go to the store, get get a loaf of bread. If they have eggs, get a dozen." Comes back with a dozen, dozen loaves of bread. Yeah. <laughs> comes back with twelve loaves of bread. Yeah. I don't know. I I don't think that's just sort of where I'm at in my career. And 
my experience there is what you're explaining to debug and to be very specific, very precise, and to, to remove the ambiguity from what you're asking the chatbot. That's, I guess that's how I see just general software engineering. I don't know, Matt, what do you think? That's how it should be. It should be, but in your experience, do you see it that way or do you see it more, as Yuli said, suggested, more mathematical, um, algebraic? Uh, oh, I, I seem to have misunderstood because in my mind that they're, they're the same thing. So, you know, when you write code, it's it's verbose and it's specific and you give specific instructions, you get a specific outcome and that's the mm -hmm. same thing that happens with maths. Yep. But, where, you know, the, the difference is that code and maths and you know equations it, they're all written by a human and often things are not expressed the right way i'll tell you something funny right so uh, again a bit of a, a tangent but um i was writing a unit test last week uh, i wrote a couple of unit tests and i i have i have opinions about unit tests maybe we can do an episode on testing um but i am uh, of the strong opinion that unit tests exist to protect your code from being broken by other people rather than to test that the app meets the specified functionality mm -hmm. uh, the, the codes well last week i wrote some unit tests and i found some bugs in my code that i would never have found without the tests mm -hmm. and this is code that i wrote that i thought i'd been very specific and very verbose uh, uh, that uh, you know give it given it a set of instructions to do things in a specific way i wrote some tests found some bugs so you know we don't always get it right because we're human and and like yuli said you know we're we're, we're not we're not that good at, at that kind of precise step-by-step -step instructional procedural way of doing things like an AI is like a computer. One thing, one thing you said earlier, Matt, was that you can't know exactly what, oh, no, I've lost it. Never mind. No, it's gone. <laughs> so, I mean, I was just thinking, like I've written down on my notes here, right? It's that, I think you mentioned it earlier, Matt, it's that BA type thinking, right? So you're yeah. removing that aspect of, okay, here's the pure algorithmic approach to um, a equals b plus c minus d you're actually looking at it from that ba approach and you need to start asking the que the right questions yeah you need to be clear in your questions and you need to be precise in what you're trying to extract from the people you're talking to or from the clients or from the actual computer yeah all right, let me, let me give you another example. About four years ago, it comes up all the time, but it was really big about four, four and a half years ago, right? There was this equation going around on Twitter, on LinkedIn and all the social things. And, you know, people saying, what is the answer? Is it A, is it this or is it this? Or is it this? And people jumping in, you know, a wide range of all kinds of answers that some of which were wild and completely wrong. Um, but there was these two different answers that lots of people settled on. And there was all these arguments saying, this, this isn't the blue dress, green dress scenario. No, it? no, no, it's not. But people thought it was right. So, so there was a lot of people saying, this is the answer. And a lot of people saying, no, this is the answer. And then a lot of people saying, well, actually they're both right. It depends on, you know, how you, how, how you solve this equation. Right. But the fact is, one of them was right and one of them was wrong. And the people that were saying it depends how you solve it were wrong because there is a correct way of solving it. Like there are there are specific rules in mathematics about the order in which of solving these equations. Mm. Therefore, well, one of these was correct and one wasn't. But the point is that humans are perfectly capable of looking at something as verbose and specific and precise as an equation and finding different ways of working it out. Yep. Yeah. But okay, so that's kind of my point. So equations have order of operations. You've got bod mass, right? Was it? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Brackets, orders, blah, blah, blah. Um, mm -hmm. 
But then language, that joke you, you mentioned earlier is a, a perfect example of how language is fuzzy, right? Language yeah. can be interpreted in different ways. Yeah. And that's why debugging it is harder. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You have to figure out what their interpretation is of it. I think one way to think about the way things are going with AI, with, especially when agents get into it, before agents start predicting what we need ahead of time, you'll be able to just kick off things as if, like I said before, as if you're just talking to employees, right? You go and do this for me, come back when you got it done. You go and do this, you can do this. So we all are going to need to start thinking about our jobs like we're the CEO of our own little job function. Mm. And we've got a whole bunch of, instead of like, how do I solve this problem? You're going to be thinking about, right, who do I need to talk to to get this problem solved? And what, what outputs do I need to go where, right? As opposed to how will I get that output? That, that will be a solved problem. And just like, you know, we're all pretty crap with uh, algebra or with basic maths now because we've always had calculators our whole life. I don't know you guys, but I've got no sense of direction at all because I use a GPS everywhere I go. But I've never made a mistake in maths and I never get lost because I have tools for these things. So we're going to have the same thing. We're going to become terrible at everything we're good at now, but it won't matter because we'll be able to produce massive outputs. Like in Wally, like in that movie Wally. <laughs> yes. So I'm 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 really interested in talking more about the safety thing, and, and you know we, we've had we're having a really great conversation here about AI in general. But I, I want to talk a bit more about what's happening right now with OpenAI and you know Microsoft. Now we've been talking for about 45 minutes, so we're probably already we've got no idea what's happening now. It's no. completely changed. You know, I'm just refreshing my browsers as we speak. I've been refresh on Twitter to see if anything comes out. <laughs> so we still don't know for a fact what's been going on but we have been hearing a lot not just i mean a lot over the past three days since this drama has been unfolding but a lot over you know a bit longer than that about this this idea of safety and concerns about safety in ai and in agi mm -hmm. so what do you think is going to happen now with with open ai and microsoft i mean that's a really good question right it could be, and I'm speculating here, right? But it, it could be that that Microsoft, you know, acquires the the for profit part of of OpenAI that they've been investing in, um, and then the the other part just becomes a, a think tank and a research organization, um, and they could focus purely on safety. Now, of course, they're not going to have the funding to do that that they would have before. But but what, what do you think? You know, where, which way do you see that going? How do you see that shaking out? What do you reckon, Leo? I was going to say, I just want to jump in there. I think. The important thing that you might not have seen there, Matt, is um, Satya Nadella's tweet from an hour, two hours ago, just before we started. Yeah. And that starts out saying, we remain committed to our partnership with OpenAI and have confidence in our product roadmap, our ability to continue to innovate with everything we announced at Microsoft Ignite yeah. and in continuing to support our customers and partners. Yeah. And then it goes on to say, oh, and by the way, Sam Altman's joining us on board. Yeah, yeah, so, I'm looking at that tweet right now, actually. Yeah. So if you read that, it does kind of say that they're not that interested in that. Maybe you're right. Maybe it is they start to take on that for-profit aspect and leave the research side to open AI. But that tweet itself doesn't lead that to me. This is emerging, right? This this is news to Satya as it is news to us, right? He's only yes. had this information for a day. So remember, any tweet by Satya Nadella is designed to not make shareholders panic and sell. So yeah. it, it's a case of, we just had Ignite. We're still doing all the stuff we said we were going to do. There's no one rocking the boat here. And, I, and actually something even a bit more exciting is happening because we've got Sam Altman and Greg Brockman coming over to us. But, you know, Emmett Shear, who's the new CEO now, taken over from Mira Marathi, you know, he's, we're very happy to work with him. You know, it's just all, it's all niceties. It's all, yeah. everything's fine. It's all good. Nobody panic. In yeah. fact, we've got a couple of new guys. You're going to love them. Yeah. So I wouldn't read too much into anything you see there. It's just that the interesting thing there is the only piece of like unalterable truth, which is, okay, they've got some new employees. 
that's interesting. Mm. Um, wh- what ends up happening with them and, and OpenAI, who knows? I mean, they're, they're massive partners with NVIDIA as well. And Sam Altman was just trying to build a chip company, <laughs> theoretically. Yeah. So what's going on there? Yeah, haven't Microsoft announced a, a, a new AI chip that they've developed that's going to go into Azure as well? Am, am I imagining that? Uh, possibly. They, they they were talking a lot about the NVIDIA, the new NVIDIA ones that they're implementing in the Azure servers. Right. So I'm not I've sure seen a lot that. about the, the amount they're spending on data centers, but I haven't seen mm. anything about the AI chips. I still mm. want to see what Apple does with AI. That's that's the qu- the quiet horse in the corner that you're not sure what's going on. Uh, yeah, so does Tim Cook. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, yeah. I tell you, uh, 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 you know, it's because uh, obviously this this safety thing I think is really interesting. You know, uh, not just on the alignment, but um, well, like you know, like you said about investing 20 percent, or, or no, sorry, this concept of we're going to invent an AI that's going to tell us how to make the next AI and make it safe. And then, you know, then we were talking about pressures from people with profit focused mm. visions versus safety focused visions it, it just it was just reminding me of this book i read um years ago called uh, cat's cradle have you, have you ever read that no no it's by by kurt vonnegut jr i don't know if you know who he is he was um i think his most famous he's an author yeah he's an author yeah um like you yeah he, he's got he's got <laughs> he's got a few books and he's quite well known um, and a lot of his books have been adapted into movies and stuff um but this book cat's cradle was quite short you could read it in like half an hour maybe an hour and it's about it's crazy it's just an absolutely crazy book but it's about amongst other things a scientist who's invented a new form of ice it's called ice nine and it freezes at room temperature and it also converts any other water that it touches into ice nine hmm. and it, it's an it's an allegory for for science and technology sort of unchecked by hmm. you know science for science sake discovery for discovery sake unchecked by i guess rational regulation yeah, well, yeah, ethical, moral thinking and that sort of stuff. And, you know, I guess at the time he was talking about the atomic bomb, he was inspired by the atomic bomb. But there's a lot of people, I guess, that, that see that this is what's happening now is people just inventing stuff without really thinking about, is it safe? We're just inventing it because we can. And that's certainly what, what Elon is saying. But, I mean, my thoughts there, right, if you start to slow down development in a space like that, do you end up in this Cold War scenario? Yeah. Well, you know, if arguments say you turn around and say, okay, well, we're going to slow down the development of AI and we're going to put these constraints around it. How do you know that other um, countries, other political parties are not progressing it outside of your controls? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. And then you end up in a Cold War scenario where, well, they're building it, so we need to build ours better. The arms race. Literally exactly. Skynet. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. Um, there's a great there's a great saying, which is that we're all sprinting towards the edge of the cliff. And the closer you get to the edge of the cliff, the better the view is. But you're still yeah. about to jump off a cliff. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> but every step you take, the world gets more amazing and more incredible and more things are invented and more is possible until super intelligent AI you know, kills us all. Yeah. So the singularity. The singularity, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, what what do you think of the is the real risk of AI? Do you think it's do you think it's the amount that like the speed of change to society, or do you think it's yeah literally the Skynet style kill all humans robots running around the street with guns or germs or whatever however they want to do us so. all? I'm not. I'm far from an expert, but I, I my view is that the Skynet robots running around kill humans thing isn't going to happen unless we program them to do that. Yeah. 
there's in the movie. It's much more imaginative. It wasn't, it wasn't the whole premise of Skynet there. It wasn't programmed to do that, but it was programmed to protect humanity from itself. No, I was about to raise that one. You're thinking of um, iRobot. Yeah. That's iRobot. So that's that's, that's, the that's the plot of the movie iRobot. No, what, what happened with Skynet was that Skynet became self... Skynet was designed to protect the US. Skynet became yep. self-aware. They got scared. They tried to unplug it. It wanted to defend itself, so it launched nukes at Russia, knowing that Russia would retaliate and wipe out its enemies yeah, yeah. nearby. Yeah. So uh, no, it was iRobot, wasn't it? Yeah. I, I think we've got AI now. We've got ChatGPT. We've certainly got things that passed the Turing test. In fact, they don't because they're too good now, right? So that's how we distinguish them. But, you know, they are still just large language models and they are still just predicting what they think the next word should be. Mm -hmm. They're not self-aware. They're not actually intelligent. So we're along, we are still a fair way off from that. And we don't even actually understand what consciousness or self-awareness or intelligence is. Again, another conceptual issue, let alone a technical solution. We just don't know. And, you know, we certainly have no idea what an intelligence that isn't influenced by chemicals and hormones how it would feel how it would think what it would do you know we 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 have no idea that an ai would want to live you know it may not it may just not care yeah there was there was an argument made for embodiment uh embodiment being actually giving a you know an ai a robot home right so giving it a one-to-one relationship with something physical yeah right so you have a guy that lives inside a particular robot it can't make copies of itself it's it's inherently linked to that physicality and doing that might make it have more in common with us more of a feeling of you know fear of death or uh you know the feeling of, of valuing the resources around it and you know one method to alignment might be embodiment we shall create them in our own image yes exactly yeah well kind of yeah that's the way to put it yeah well have you heard of the um Nick Bostrom's Paperclip Maximizer. No. So that that's uh, there was a, a book called The Singularity by Nick Bostrom where he's he's an alarmist. He was an alarmist about AI before AIs were worth alarming about. And the, the Paperclip Maximizer is it's given it's a it's a super intelligent AI that's given the objective function of making paperclips. And it goes right. Well, I'm not going to be limited by you know the crappy way that the humans have been making paperclips i'm going to first thing i'm going to do is i'm going to turn this entire planet into a giant factory for making paperclips and these humans they they've got some carbon and whatnot in their blood they you know they'll be useful tools that i can chuck in there and then i'll get out into space and i'll start taking over asteroids and suns and i'll absorb those and turn them into paperclips and so on and so on so the idea that basically a super intelligent ai is not necessarily a super wise ai it's just something mm. that is so uh, min-maxed and so finely tuned to doing that one thing that it will do it to the expense of everything else. Uh, and it'll do it better than you can do anything to stop it. So that's yep. that's one potential vector to calamity. Interesting. All right. Well, the topic of AI Armageddon is probably uh, a good position to wrap up. Let's add that one onto the rest of the backlog along with your yep. testing yep. topic. AI Armageddon. We'll cover that yeah. at a later date yeah. if we're yeah. still around. Uh, Yuli, thank you so much for giving up your evening and joining us. No worries, that was really good fun. Uh, it's That's been great having you. You've got to tell us what you've been drinking because we've seen you've been having a beer. So uh, what, what are you drinking this week? Natural Zero today. Yeah, lovely. And did I see you drinking that out of a horn? Uh, yes. <laughs> I've got my Viking horn here. Your Viking horn. Nice. <laughs> Yuli, I've still got a six pack at your house somewhere that your dad bought me, right? That's true. Yeah, it was delicious. <laughs> uh, Liam, what are you what are you drinking tonight? I'm on the James Squire 150 lashes. 
Oh, nice. Right. Yeah, oh, it's well, it was. Once. Don't don't judge me on it, but it's um, it was what's in the fridge at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. How about you, Matt? Well, I, I, I'm still on the al- low alcohol or alcohol free thing at the moment. So we were speaking about this a little bit last week. Sorry, the week before last. Um, on the weekend last week, I actually had a gout attack. So um, which I don't know if either of you have ever had gout, but it's exceptionally painful. Um, I had three drinks on the weekend, literally just three drinks. And, and that kicked it off. So until I get my health under control, which is going to be another i guess few weeks i'm sticking to the low alcohol so this week i'm drinking a four pines ultra brew um so you know four pines brewery down in manly yeah yeah it's actually bloody good um so i I, i've had a a few of the the low alcohol no alcohol beers over the past couple of weeks and this is probably the best one i was gonna say we're gonna have to start getting reviews on the um no alcohol beers there Matt. yeah has anyone tried the um the what is it the new flavor of coke which was designed by ai no yeah, it's atrocious. It, it tastes sort of like an ultra sweet cherry Coke. Uh, but the, the recipe, the everything about Isn't it. Isn't that just Dr. Pepper? Similar, very similar, actually. Yeah, the whole thing was designed by AI. I wonder yeah. how long until we're going to have AI generated beer. You know, well, gout will be a thing of the past because that will be, you know, instantly AI. Yeah. You might be the last person to ever get it. Maybe, <laughs> maybe. There's a homebrewing subreddit. It's quite common for people to share their latest, you know, beer recipe mm. and what have you. And there's an ongoing qu- topic of, you know, what. What um, recipes have you got ChatGPT to create for you? <laughs> some of them are, are pretty terrible, actually. Yeah, <laughs> but some of the, the the odd ones are winner. Do we need embodiment? We need uh, robots with taste buds. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> actually, Matt, one more thing that I wanted to cover off. Yeah. Just a bit of a shameless plug for yourself there. All right. You know, we've we've spoken about your book in the past. Yeah. But you got something else you're working on? The workshop you've got for NDC Sydney next year? I have. And, and you know what's exciting? You know, you know what? If it hadn't been for all this drama, you know what we'd have been talking about this week, Liam? It would have been .NET 8. Because mm-hmm. yep. .NET 8 just came out and it's just been completely overshadowed by this. Now, as you know, I'm you know I'm a .NET Maui guy. I absolutely love .NET Maui. I've written a book on it. it. It's been out for about a year and a half. Off to a bit of a rocky start with .NET 6. Of course, we had .NET 7 earlier this year. We've got .NET 8 now. And anyone that has thought about Maui or even potentially tried it and been put off, I say give it another go because .NET 8 is the version we've been waiting for. It's really good now. Stable, you can, you know, it's stable, mature, reliable. Now is the time to use it. So I actually have a workshop. I was going to say, and if I wanted to learn how to actually get started in Maui .NET 8, yeah. What would I do? Well, right now you would buy my book. Sure. And if I if I don't read and I just I need someone just to help me get through. Yeah, it. come along and do my workshop at NDC in February. Yeah, so I've got a two day hands on workshop. It's pretty intense. It's fast paced. We're going to spend two days building an app. Over the next week or two, I'm probably going to release some videos of the app that you build. It's a real real time chat app, so nothing that innovative, but it's pretty fun. I think the way that that I've done it. And uh, I think people are going to like it. And I think people are going to like building it. Yeah. And that's NDC Sydney 12 to 16th of February next year. Yeah, that's right. Awesome. Yuli will be there. I, I think we all will. Yeah. I, I think we be, will. My session didn't get accepted, but I'm pretty sure I'll be there. Yeah. Um, people can't see because this is just a recording, but I'm playing the world's smallest violin. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, it's awkward. Your talk got accepted and Matt and Liam's didn't. That's right. <laughs> I, I, had, I had one talk rejected, if that makes you feel better. <laughs> Yuli, thank you so much for joining us, uh, giving up your evening to be here. No worries. That is it for this episode of the Beer Driven Devs. 
I'm Matt Goldman. I'm Liam Elliott. And I'm Ulysses McLaren. Cheers. Cheers. The Beer Driven Devs podcast is recorded and produced on Dorawal and Darkinjung land. 